0: Our Old Testament reading today comes from the book of Isaiah, beginning in chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. You may find that on your pew Bible, page 599. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. That her iniquity is pardoned and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken the very word of God.
1: Please stand for the gospel reading. Matthew 3, 1 to 6. I believe it's on 808 in the Pew Bible. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he would say. For this is how he was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of hair, of camel hair and leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. This is the very word of God.
2: Please be seated. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Well, again, we have this amazing privilege to be able to walk with Jesus um, in his in his journey to the cross. And we'll be studying that out of, we'll be following him, especially out of the Gospel of Matthew, um, chapter 3, chapter um, Today and on Wednesday, and then chapter four, uh, for the balance of the, um, the balance of the time before Easter. So grateful for the opportunity to open God's Word with you. I'm going to trust that His Word is living and active. Amen. Sharper than any two edged sword, that it's able to divide between our soul and spirit, that it's able to even discern between the bone and the marrow. And as we open our hearts to God's Word, that He will speak to us. Words of life. Well, we're going to pick it up with this. With this, um, I don't know if you remember, but last Christmas we looked kind of in depth at John the Baptist. Remember, as we as we reminded ourselves, how um, six months before the angel even appeared to Mary, announcing that the Messiah was coming and was going to be born through her, uh, God had done it a miracle. He had. He had gone to an elderly couple who had so longed to have children, and and he had revealed to them that in their old age they were going to have a son. And in in Luke chapter one, that story is recounted for us of of how this was not going to just be a, an ordinary person. In fact, they wanted you know, the angel told him, "I want you to have him keep Nazarite vows. I want you to keep him holy before the Lord, because he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth." And he shall be the one who prepares the way for the Messiah. Now you remember that Mary and Elizabeth were relatives. I often call Elizabeth her aunt, but that 's probably not accurate there's some kind of some kind of relative of theirs that probably made John and Jesus um, made them cousins but but we don 't know what happened in between that that amazing birth narrative and and where we pick up the story now, there was an extended period of time, right? There's 30 years. How do I know that? Because um, a prophet would begin his ministry, a priest would begin his ministry at age 30. At age 30. And so um, so now, fast forward 30 years from the Christmas story. And, and again, we encounter... This man, now not a baby, leaping in his mother's womb at the presence of the Messiah, but one who has been set apart, and and you could probably start the clock since six months before he encounters Jesus again, begins preparing the way, uh, begins calling out to the people after 400 years of silence. Let's prepare ourselves for the coming of the Messiah. So I want you to think about with me the man John the Baptist prophesied in in Malachi. In Malachi, um, the last word, the very last word that Israel had heard for 400 years. God said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the land with utter destruction. The last word that they heard was that God would send one like Elijah before the Messiah. And those of you who have experienced with us the Passover meals that we've had in the gym, we have them every couple of years. Remember when the children run to the door and they open the door and they look and see, is Elijah there, right? Is, has Elijah come? Is this the, ta- the year that the Messiah will come? And they would sadly come back into the room and say, no, Elijah out there, right? For 2,400 years, the Jewish people uh, had, had longed for the coming of Elijah 2,000 years ago. We believe God sent Elijah. Now, just jot in your notes, if you're taking notes, I didn't give you a lot of blanks today to fill in, but jot in your notes that that John the Baptist comes up a lot. You can write that Luke 1, where we hear the birth narrative part about John the Baptist. But here in Matthew 3, he appears again. and And we'll also see that in Matthew 11... Uh, He appears, Jesus speaks of him. Jesus says, uh, uh, of all the people uh, on earth up until this time, there was no one greater than John the Baptist. No one. No human being greater than John the Baptist, right? Do you remember what he said after that? But the one that is least in the kingdom of God will be greater than John. Isn't that amazing? I often have thought of, and this is all Dave right here, but I've often thought of John as the first New Testament prophet, right? But I don't think so. I think I think he was the last Old Testament prophet. And when Jesus came, and especially when the Holy Spirit came, God raised up a whole new generation of prophets and prophetesses, right? Who are greater than John the Baptist. Witness Joel. Witness Acts chapter too. So there's this amazing man. Why did he dress the way that he did? Um, Matthew went out of his way to tell him that he wore a garment of of camel hair and a leather belt. What was he describing? John was very conscious that his role was prophetic, and so he dressed as the prophets dressed. He ate he ate as the prophet ate. I heard several people cringe when he read that passage, right? when he said um, uh, locusts, right? Good protein source. Uh, uh, Dip them in chocolate maybe, right? But but locusts and and wild honey was his food. I don't know. We don't know how long he lived in that style. Was it it from youth until, until age 30? Was it from age 18 until 30? Or was it just in that period of time before? We don't know. All we do know is John was very conscious of his role. And, and he went out into the wilderness and lived the life of a prophet. And six months before the baptism of Jesus, six months before Jesus' 30th birthday, John began proclaiming the message. What is the message? It's very simple. You all know it already. It's simple to hear. Let me put it that way. It's challenging. It's challenging to live, right? Repent, he said, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. What is, what is repentance? Well, you remember when we studied that word before, repentance is to turn from one thing to another, right? And sometimes it's a 180 degree turn. Oftentimes it's not, beloved. Often, oftentimes it's a five-degree turn between something that's good but not best, and and something that is God, and therefore most excellent, right? Um, so, so to repent is to turn from one thing to another. I have been so blessed. Um, by our Catholic brothers and sisters and, and their understanding of the larger doctrine of penance. And and um, because it, it is so informative, they've gathered it from all over the scriptures. And If you have a moment, take a couple of notes and, and let me just invite you to think about this process. Why? Because I'm going to believe that John's words to the, the crowds in the desert are his words, are God's word to us as we prepare ourselves. Now not for the first coming of the Lord, but for the second coming of the Lord right there's a process in in repentance and I'm going, to, I'm going to run by you a little bit fast but but think it through with me it's first, you have to recognize your sin you have to recognize your sin and and especially in our culture it's it's complicated it's hard to do that because everybody around you says this is not sin, and so you have to decide where is your standard going to be, right? What's going to be the standard of right relationship or, or righteousness? Is it, um, is it the majority vote of the people around you? Is it the, um, the 13% or something of our culture that is trying to make radical changes and, and tell you something is okay that God says is not Okay. Um, where are you going to draw your authority from? I've encouraged you over and over again to, to draw it from God's word. He gives you all his wisdom in his word. And, and if his word says that something is is fall short of the glory of God, something is sin, then we got to trust God's word. So recognize first your sin. And, and if you're struggling to do that, praise God, you can have help. You can say, as we do continually here in worship services, you can say, "Holy Spirit, move through my heart if there's anything in me that is not of you. Bring it to my attention, bring it to my attention i 'm saying that very particularly I would want to say, just blow it away, God remove it, right? But God wants us to recognize that something breaks his heart. He wants to recognize the sin that we are engaged in. The good news is that his Holy Spirit will help you do that. There's just amazing tie between John the Baptist and Isaiah. Um, 800 years before John the Baptist, he like nailed Jesus to a T. I always think of you, Marianne, when I think of Isaiah 53. Um, but he also nailed John the Baptist to a T, right? We're going to see he described exactly what John the Baptist was going to do 800 years before that time. But, but he also gives us a vision himself of what repentance looks like. Do you remember? You've looked at that passage many times. In Isaiah chapter 6, when, when Isaiah's friend and, and king passes away, he's in the midst of grief, and in the midst of that loss, he sees this vision of the glory of God. And, and, and when he captures that vision, I have shivers going down my spine for some reason, when he captures that vision of the glory of God, he is overwhelmed with his brokenness. Do you Remember? I think it's Isaiah 6, 5. He says, woe is me, right? For I'm a man of unclean lips, right? Uh, You know, 24 seconds before then, I almost said hours, but seconds before then, he thought he was okay, right? And then God gave him a vision for himself. He gave him a vision of his glory and he realized, I'm not okay. Woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes, my eyes have seen the King. So in so many ways, God has gone before us. Just invite His Holy Spirit to bring a vision of God's glory into your life. Invite the Holy Spirit to bring a vision of of His glory and your brokenness to to the forefront of your mind. And recognize recognize where you are. Um, it'd be terrible, wouldn't it, if God just left us there? He doesn't, right? He's given us this this amazing um, gift of confession. And again, I've reminded you so many times. Oftentimes, our our minds immediately go to a, to a wood paneled box with a little black screen in that. And and and, and that that's part of it. Um, Jesus would, or James would broaden that and say, you don't need a priest. We have a high priest, Jesus. You need someone, somewhere who you can speak your brokenness to. Confess your sins, right? Agree with God. That's what confession means. Agree with God that, that your actions or your thoughts have been sinned. And, and then we see that amazing promise that we quote so often in our worship service. 1 John 4, right? 4.9, I want to say. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But again, I'm grateful for our Catholic brothers and sisters because they have shown us. There's a couple more pieces in here that are very helpful. How many of you have struggled? You have sinned, you have confessed it, and then you've done it again, Right? And what happens when you do that? Um, all of a sudden, you, you, you might have a couple rounds where you confess, and then after a while you just go, um, I can't do this, right? I can't do this. Uh, I, I love God. But he understands that. How many times, he, uh, Peter asks, must I forgive my brother, right? Uh, seven times, thinking he was being generous. The law only required three. And Jesus said 70 times 7, how many times do you think God will forgive you, beloved? How many times do you think that that you can come to him with the same the same sin and and receive forgiveness? The point of 70 or whatever that number is, it's unclear in the original language, it's a huge number, at least 490. The point is is that you can never Run out of the grace of God. You can never come to that point where he will not forgive you if you confess it. So what I'm saying here is not about God and his relationship with you. What I'm challenging you with here is about that feeling that you and I have when we sin again and hate ourselves for it, right? And and I want to say um, our Catholic brothers and sisters have given us another gift. And, and it's this gift of... I'm going to say a long word and then I'll give you a shorter one. Renunciation, right? In other words, renounce the sin. Here it comes. Say to the sin, not by your strength, not by your will, but by the, the faith you have in the grace of God, say to that sin no longer. And I'm going to encourage you, say, say it to a brother or sister. Right? Say it to someone else too. I'm renouncing this sin. I no longer choose to give it power over me. And I'm going to trust that the grace of God is sufficient for me. That the power of the Holy Spirit is sufficient for me. And that I won't have to sin anymore. I've shared with you before that that's that's something that set me free. Oh, do I still do those sins? Yes. Do I condemn myself over it? No. Instead, I choose to say, God, thank you for the grace of Jesus. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that you have given me, though I still sin, God, and will come to you every time and seek your forgiveness. I don't have to sin any longer. I am, here goes, no longer a slave to sin. Would you say that with me? I am no longer a slave to sin. And the theme for our whole Lenten series, I am a child of God. Say that with me. I am a child of God. Say it, put it all together, would you? I am no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God, right? It's not just a song, beloved. It's a powerful truth that can set you free. Renounce the sin. I want to, again I'm grateful for both God's word and, and our brother our Catholic brothers and sisters who have reminded me of God's word and said sometimes there's restitution involved right sometimes something needs to be done to make the sin right this is this is holy ground and and and, and I want to say be very careful cuz sometimes sometimes in trying to make restitution we can actually increase the damage done by the sin are you following me you need the wisdom you're not following me are you um, I don't know, in certain kinds of sinful situations, it would be more painful for you to go back to that person, excuse me, more painful for them, for you to go back to that and to try and do something. You need the wisdom of God. But as he leads you, if there is an opportunity to make it right, do you remember, oh, do you remember i got to breathe here, do you remember when Matthew uh, came to the Lord, right? Uh, and uh, He was a tax collector, right? God turned his life upside down. Do you remember when Zacchaeus, another tax collector, came to the Lord, right? Uh, and, and Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. A prelude of making his home in his heart. Uh, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus volunteered, right, to make restitution to all those who he had, he had stolen from. All those who he had extorted funds from. By the way... Um, the first movie of the Kendrick Brothers, the people that made Facing the Giants and uh, War Room, those movies, the first one that many people aren't aware of was called The Flywheel. Did Anybody, anybody ever seen that movie? Um, the, the Flywheel was, was, I think, made with a handheld video camera, right? It was the first one. And, and it's not going to win an Academy Award for production, right? But it was the story of a used car salesman who um, not only found grace... And forgiveness, but courageously then uh, made restitution, even in the face of public uh, shaming of his sin and, and the story of how God honored that. When he sought to make it right, so an element that's not too much in our Protestant uh, mentality, but but um, is certainly a part of this repentance process, is saying, "Who has been hurt by my sin? Is there something Holy Spirit that I can do to make restitution as a result of that?" Then it's critically important that you receive forgiveness from God, and again, by the Holy Spirit's wisdom. Not trying to cause someone else pain, but to to go to the person or persons that you have offended as well. To to say to them, our students were working on this last Wednesday night, and we've been studying forgiveness together, not to say to them, I'm sorry, right? But to say to them, I give you power over me. I ask you, can you forgive me? Right? Can you? you forgive me to seek forgiveness from both so that your vertical relationship with God can be restored but also the horizontal can be and when and if they offer that to receive it let me go back to your relationship with God for a second because when you confess your sin he is faithful and just and will help me forgive right God will forgive will you receive it I can't tell you how many times I encounter people who know that God has forgiven them. And it's couched in a lot of different concepts. It's couched oftentimes they would say, I can't forgive myself. What is that really saying? I'm not trying to call you out or anything like that. I'm I, in the same boat oftentimes, right? What are you really saying when you're saying, I can't forgive whom God Has forgiven. Are you Are you following me? Ooh. I'm saying. I apparently am more important than God, right? So receive it. Receive it. Stop labeling yourself by your sin, and and label yourself by your relationship to God. I'm no longer a slave, right? To sin. I am a child of God, received that forgiveness from God and if the other people are willing, from them as well. So many, countless stories. And I want to hear these, you guys, because you've got them and you're just a little shy and scared about speaking them. Your one-minute testimonies in front of the church. But countless stories out there of how when we went and sought forgiveness from that person, it set them free. Because they were hurting. They were struggling. And... And our humility, like John the Baptist here, our humility set them free as well. Receive forgiveness. If you're starting to see all the R's coming by here. I can't help myself. I apologize. Be renewed. Reminding you of, of our Ephesians four twenty three passage and Romans 12. 1. Be renewed in the attitude of your minds. Stop believing you are a slave to sin. Be renewed in your thought processes in the attitude of your mind. And yet another R. Be restored. Be restored, right? To right relationships with God and others. In a, in a Lion King moment, I would summarize this whole process by remembering who you are, right? Don't buy the lie that the world is and the evil one and your own flesh declare that, that um, you are a, a sinner condemned to your sin. Well, you're a child of God, beloved of your Heavenly Father. His instrument in breaking bondages, in overcoming injustices, in, in making a difference in His world. You are the presence of Christ in this world. I loved John the Baptist for this reason, that, that John the Baptist's message contained that. Repent. Now, we got a much larger definition than you ever had before, but repent, right? Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. By the way, uh, uh, John's message was, guess what? Repent for the kingdom of God is at the next chapter, Matthew chapter 4, guess what Jesus' message was? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And chapter 10 of Matthew, when Jesus sent out the twelve... Right? He gave them a message to proclaim. Guess what the message was? Right? You don't have to wonder what to say to someone. Right? Proclaim. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Don't get lost in the word heaven there. Um, All the other gospel writers will use kingdom of God. Matthew was a good Jewish boy, right? At least in theory, right? And he would not use the name of God. So he substituted, as many did in this culture, he substituted heaven there, but he meant the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. It's here. Now we're going to pick up this story on Wednesday night, and and, and let me just tease you by saying, um, the kingdom of God is a great news that it's here. For many, it's really bad news for many. John does not pull punches. John... Uh, shoots straight and every other cliche I can think of here off the top of my head. He, he, um, John gives it to us straight. It's very good news for many, for many. Very bad news for others, okay? The kingdom of God. His message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. It's here right now. And he goes on to say, Jesus has got his winnowing fork in his hand. The harvest is here. It is happening, Right? kingdom of God is now well what was that was John the man this is John the message what was his mission again we're going back to Isaiah for just a second Um, Matthew quotes Isaiah for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said as Marianne had read for us the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord I'm sorry I'm reading ESV I stumbled for a second prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. It goes on to describe how we do that. What was John's mission? No, beloved, right off the top of the bat, that I'm going to suggest that his mission is your mission. right? We've already seen that, that his message is your message, right? I'm going to suggest to you that his mission is your mission as well. So let's try and understand real briefly here what was his mission. Uh, and the reason I stumbled a minute ago is probably a more accurate reading of that uh, verse from Isaiah is in the wilderness, prepare the way. Right? In other words, go into the wilderness. What are you talking about? Uh, I live in a city. What, what Should I go out to the cornfields? What What are you talking about here, right? There's a little help for us in, uh, in the original language which they spoke at here. And, and I'll, I'll try not to get technical here too technical here but but there is a word called the bar the bar in um in hebrew which means um the um the word of the lord right the word of the lord by the way in the new testament greek there was a word for the word as well wasn't it we saw it in our study of john chapter one in the beginning was the right the logos the word and and then a little later, the word became "flash" and dwelt among us. Right. So so uh, in Hebrew, the word uh, the word for word is the var. Um, in if you wanted to negate something, I just called my my uh, doctoral candidate son-in-law. I said, "Do I remember this right? I only took two semesters of Hebrew. Do I remember this right? If you put the m in front of uh, a Hebrew word, it means it means the opposite of right. It means without." And, and he said, yeah, they actually, it was M-I-N. <laughs> Does it go too far for you to? Dave, Dave studied some Hebrew too. Um, uh, and, and it became, it became shortcut to just putting the M in front, but it meant without. So now, the word for wilderness, thank you for holding with me through this long discussion. The word for wilderness is the place where there is no word. And we're going to see this, beloved, in the next couple of weeks. Because Jesus is going to go, guess what, into the wilderness led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the evil one in a, in a godless place where there is no word. And the only word that he will have for those 40 days that he's in there is the word he takes with him. Is the word he takes with him. Where am I going with that? God's not asking you to go to Utah, right? God's asking you, to prepare the way of the Lord in the places right here in Evansville where there is no word from God, right? Not just here in Evansville, but all over the world. The numbers are staggering, beloved. The the numbers are staggering about the the whole cultures that don't have the word of God. But we don't have to go to, to those unreached people groups, though God may call you to. He has called Jake to do that. To the unreached cultures of northern Africa, right? He's called uh, uh, Alex to do that, right? To go to the unreached cultures on our college campuses. Is there... Ooh, um, oh, stop right there. Stop. Caught myself. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Um, those are challenging places. Those are, those are places where there is no word, right? Who's going to take that word? There's places like that right here. Right here. Now, I'm I'm drawing a slight distinction, and and then I'll I'll, I'll start landing this airplane here. I'm drawing a slight distinction by saying um, America, or the United States, I should say, is um, a place where the word is readily available and gathering dust on the shelf, right? Um, uh, Both the written word but then especially the living word. So who's going to take it? Who's going to breathe life into it? The Holy Spirit will breathe life, but he does that through a person. So I'm going to believe that John's message is your message. I'm going to believe that John's mission is your mission. And, and Jesus is going to flesh this out for us in the weeks ahead. Um, I'm going to believe that John's dress code is your dress code. So we have camel... No, we don't have those. Okay, no, okay I took that too far. Um, I'm going to believe that, um, that God is sending us out these doors. Now it's snowing again. Out these doors um, into a world that desperately needs just to hear a word from the Lord. And he's given you that word. What is the mission? Go before Jesus... To the places that he is going to go, and and prepare the way for him. All the things that we've been talking about, beloved. Um, Discovery Bible studies. We've been restructuring uh, our language to take all the the God religious words out, and to to give you a language to be able to speak to people who don't have the Word of God in a way that they can understand all the calls. Many of you are in the room to extreme prayer uh, on behalf of our community. All those things are culminating in this mission. What will you do? What will you do? We've got the man. We've got the message, right? We've got the mission. What's the impact? What was the impact? Look at that. Verses 5 and 6 of Matthew chapter 3. Then Jerusalem... And all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to them. And they were baptized by him, by John the Baptist, in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. What was the impact? Conviction. Conviction. Oh, um, jot in your notes, um, Acts chapter 2, right? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks clearly the gospel. He proclaims the gospel and they were cut to the heart, right? They said, "What? what does this mean? And he told them. And he said, what shall we do? And he said, guess what? Here it comes again. Repent, right? And be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When people even when they don't understand obey God's word generations are transformed when, when John was speaking these words there was one Christian alive Jesus one Christ one now there are billions now there are billions because people have understood this commission commission Take the message, use the uh, understand the mission, take even the methods that that He gives, and preach the gospel to a world desperately needing it. I know that God has been speaking to many of you, and, and his holy Spirit has been prompting you, and it 's terrifying honestly it 's terrifying um, because at some point you start to understand. Um, God wants me to own up to who I've been. Have you heard it in all the testimonies that we've had here? There was a time in my life when, right? I'm not proud of that time. But it was real, right? And you know what the astounding thing has been? As people risked sharing who they were before they encountered God, as they risked sharing what God has done, other people were set free. Other people were set free. So I call you again. There was a time in my life when, right? But God, do you have a story like that? So many people said, yeah, yeah, I do. Be strong and courageous, storytellers. Risk sharing your story in your small group. um, They love you. Uh, They would love to hear that story here, among people that love you. But we do that so that when you're out in a situation and you're listening to someone else's story and you realize you have a story like that, you can share it as well. And I thank you for opening your heart to God's Word. If you want to go deeper? Do a soap study. We Today, we only got to half of our passage. We'll pick up the back half of it on Wednesday. Um, but do a soap study on... Matthew 3, verses 1 to 6. If God allows you the time before Wednesday, do one on 7 through 12. The passage that we will encounter then. Risk believing that John's message and his mission, even his methods, are yours. And let's see what God does. God, thank you for um, John. And and we know he wasn't perfect. We know um, later, God, he got confused and he cried out to Jesus, Are you the one or should I look for someone else? And, And Jesus just lovingly reminded him of who he was and what his call was. Oh, Jesus, lovingly remind us, would you, of who we are? God, because of Jesus, we are no longer slaves to sin. We can break free from the power of it. Begin now, God. You've already brought to our mind um, things that are hindering our relationship with You in the quietness of this place, God. In the safety and beauty of Your sanctuary, let us lay them down. And then, Jesus, help us to remember You. Help us to come in obedience to Your table and believe that Your grace is greater than our sin. Help us. God, to receive this precious gift with open hearts. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We invite our elders to come forward, if you would. Um, again, I invite you to come to the Lord's table. It is his table. Um, it's not an all event table. It's, we are joining with, with men and women throughout the world who today are celebrating this precious gift of Jesus. And and we invite you to come and remember him as well. Go ahead and be seated if you would. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this. A command there. Do this in remembrance of me the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood right now. I'm willing, he said to his disciples, to make a new covenant with you. One prophesied 700 years before by Jeremiah. And God is here right now willing to celebrate that new covenant with you or for some of you to enter into it today. Remember him in this cup. Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, take this simple bread and this juice. Make them, God, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Fill them, God, with your spiritual presence so that they will become grace to us. And then, God, as we meet with you in these next few minutes, speak to us, God. Your servants are listening. Amen.